Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A glimpse of heaven, that's what we just sang about. Now if you'd like to be seated, that's what we can talk about. Well, you've read the book, you've seen the movie, and now finally it's out, you can hear the sermon. Heaven is for real. Now whether or not everything in the book or or in the movie is a completely accurate picture of heaven, I'll let others debate. I can tell you from personal experience that at least one aspect of the movie was totally realistic, and that is that the pastor was married to a very sexy woman. Like most pastors that I know, I married up, but I digress. The message I want us to hear loud and clear today is that there is a place called heaven, and it's for real. And that makes a difference in our lives on earth. In the last chapter of the story, we are given a a picture of heaven as it's recorded by St. John. But before we look at those words, how do you picture heaven? What comes to mind when you think of that? Well, there's a lot we don't know about heaven, but, but this much we do know. And let's think about it this way. Girls and boys... When you're with someone that, that you love very much, how do you feel? Don't you feel safe and happy and loved? And when you're with that person that you love, your mom or your dad, your, your grandma or your grandpa, sometimes you love them so much you just can't help but say it, I love you, mom. That's what heaven's going to be like. I'm not talking about your mom now. You know, there comes a, an age, I don't know what it is, maybe eight or ten or whatever, when, when we're embarrassed to say that in, in public. I asked the kids to say it at the early service and they wouldn't do it, so I guess they're all that old. But here's what's going to happen in heaven. We're going to be with the one that we love most and the one who loves us most, and we are going to be safe and we're going to be happy And we're going to be loved. And we're not going to hesitate. We're not going to embarrass to say to the one we love, I love you, Jesus. And I think that's exactly what John is picturing for us. Uses different words. See if you agree. Where he says in our text, I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. In a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then it's our turn. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. And now we get to, let's do this together, we get to say to Jesus, I love you, not in those words I guess, but... Let's read this together. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. (laughs) How would you like to be part of that celebration? Well, actually, because heaven is for real, not only will we be part of it, we just were, weren't we? 
What we're doing this morning, what we do every time we gather for worship, is to join our voices with the voices that John heard. As I read those words again this past week, I was reminded of similar words that King David had spoken hundreds of years earlier as his people were bringing offerings for the construction of the temple. These words have found their way into a form that we are familiar with today. So as we come to the conclusion of the story, we will let what we know as the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer serve as the outline for our message today. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And because heaven is for real, those words are as true today as when they were first spoken and they can remind us every day of the fact that Jesus is alive and he reigns. They mean something else too. Because the reality of heaven changes our perception of some other realities so that we can see other things that are really real that we might not have seen that way otherwise. For instance, one of the best examples of that is is right outside this building, our cemetery. A great reminder of the reign of Christ, that he is king, even over death. That he changes our perception of what death is. Here's what I mean. Many would say that a cemetery is a place where, where, you, where you put people who are dead. That would be true if heaven weren't for real. But since it is, the Christians buried in our cemetery or any other cemetery are not dead. Now, I'm not trying to be clever here. And I certainly don't want to be callous to those who, uh, who still feel the pain of, of having a loved one who is resting in that cemetery. Rather, just the opposite. I want to emphasize the hope and the comfort that can be ours. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 11? Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He meant what he said. So let's believe what he said. Even though that entirely changes our perception of the reality that we call death. Now Jesus knew that was the case. And so right after he made that statement to Mary and Martha at the, at the tomb of their brother Lazarus, he asked a very important question. Do you believe this? Same question I'm asking you today. Do you believe this? I certainly do. I believe that Jesus is not Lord of the dead. He is Lord of the living, and he lives and reigns right out there in that cemetery. Nobody else could do what Jesus did. Nobody else could could come back to life or bring others back to life or change the reality of heaven so dramatically that it's now true that Christians never die because heaven is for real Jesus is Lord of the living. 
giving life through his life, granting joy and hope and peace to all for whom he died and for whom he lives. And that means he's not only Lord of the living, he's also Lord of my life and of yours. Well, he gave us our lives, so so we give them back to him. Sometimes. Other times, too many times, we fall back to the old reality when it comes to this world and what we think it has to offer, forgetting what a cruel Lord this world is. Instead, we are attracted to its sinful pleasures and deceived by its deceitful promises. Enough of that foolishness. Let us rejoice in the new reality that Jesus is Lord, Lord of the living, Lord of our lives. What a loving Lord and King he is. And powerful as well. Powerful enough to raise the dead, to rule in a graveyard. Do you know what? He has an even greater power. The greatest power of all. Now maybe you've already figured out what that is. Maybe you know from the way it's, it's worded in the sermon outline how that second sentence under part two ends. If so, don't give it away to your neighbor. We'll tell him soon enough. First, let's understand what's so great about this power. Now, I'm not talking about power to run people's lives or to ruin people's lives, what some think power is all about, but that confuses power with force. I'm talking about something entirely different, something that gets to the very heart of who we are. Something that when everything else is stripped away, as long as we have this, we're still okay. What is this awesome power? It's not the power to destroy. It's the power to mend. To mend broken, not dishes, not bones, not even hearts, but the well, if now you can tell your neighbor, say it with me if you know it, Jesus has the power to restore broken relationships. Starting with our relationship with him. That was his purpose from the very beginning. Way back in September when we began reading the story, we already knew how it was going to end, didn't we? Well, guess what? So did God. Before he even brought the world to the beginning of the story. He already knew what he would require of himself. To restore the relationship that we would ruin. As a result of our sin. He knew all of that before he even created the world. He knew how it all would end. With Jesus on the cross. And yet that's not the end. Because Jesus rose, and he ascended, and he gathered his church, and he brought each of us into a new relationship 
with himself. A relationship that is fully restored and will continue for all eternity. And that completely changes our approach to relationships here. Giving us the desire and the power to restore broken relationships in our own lives. Is that important? You know it is. Think back to the last time you had a falling out with with someone that that you used to be close with. Do you remember, I I know you do, the the wall that descended between the two of you and and all of a sudden you didn't even want to see the person that, that previously you couldn't wait to be with. Maybe you changed your routine even so you wouldn't accidentally bump into them. If you saw them from a distance, you, you tried to make sure that, that they wouldn't see you. And all the while, you knew that you were absolutely right in this. That they had wronged you so terribly, and of course you did nothing to deserve that. And how in the world could they ever treat you that way? Does it sound like I've had that experience? Of course I have. We all have. That's why I know how powerfully this affects our lives. Jesus can fix that. He can restore broken relationships. If he can forgive us for what we've done to him, and we know that he can and he does, then we can forgive others who have sinned against us. And we can acknowledge the reality of human relationships, the reality that sinners sin. So why should we be surprised by that? And why should we be offended when someone does to us what we've done to others and to God? And why should we hold on to a grudge when Jesus has the power and gives us the power to mend that broken relationship? You've experienced that power too, haven't you? When a relationship has been restored, that power came from Jesus. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Here again, I mean something different by by the word glory than what probably a lot of others think because by glory, I don't mean glamour, or glitz. I don't mean pomp and ceremony like an earthly king might demand. Jesus is so far beyond any earthly king and and his glory is so much greater than theirs that it looks nothing like theirs. God's glory is found primarily in his grace, in the sacrificial, forgiving way that he treats his people. And that's what distinguishes him from all earthly kings. They think their their glory comes from their power. God knows that it's his grace which gives him glory. Many kings have had tremendous power and and dazzling glory. They have surrounded themselves with riches and and finery. They have commanded large armies. They've, They've held the fate of entire nations in their hands. Of those individuals, it could also be said to you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory. But here's the difference. 
their subjects would utter those words with fear and trembling, with the hope that this glorious and powerful king would not become angry with them or or on a whim decide to destroy them. Not so with our king, because he treats us with such kindness and tenderness. We are glad to acknowledge that to him belongs the power and the glory. Glory that is found in his grace. And as long as we are on this earth is seen in our lives. If we who know the glory of the Lord want that glory to be known by others here on earth, then it's up to us to show it to them. That's how God's glory is seen here. When with our lips, we give him thanks. And with our lives, on weekdays when we are kind, loving, gentle, and forgiving in his name, as we relate to people around us the way Jesus relates to us. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's all his. It all belongs to him. Or at least it could. Because heaven is for real, we know that he has not chosen to keep it for himself, but has decided to share it all with us. Was there ever a king like ours? Truly his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's the story that never ends. Heaven proves that. And it's for real. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.